Hi, everyone, and welcome to First Aid Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. This episode is the latest in a continuing series on the future of remote work and what it might mean for businesses, communities, and policymakers in Delaware and beyond. Today's focus is higher education, including lessons learned about remote learning during the pandemic and perspectives on the future form and function of colleges and universities across the U.S. To explore, I spoke with Kevin Kovaleski on June 4th, 2021. Kevin is an alumnus of the University of Delaware, where he earned a Master of Public Administration degree from the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. He's currently the Assistant Vice President of Academic Enterprise Communications at Arizona State University. He leads communication strategies and campaigns that lead to new student enrollment and persistence toward graduation and elevate the academic reputation of the university. Let's get to the conversation. Thanks for joining me this morning, Kevin. Glad to have you here. Well, Troy, nice to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you about remote learning, kind of in the context of remote work that many of us have been living in various degrees over the last year or so. And, you know, just like remote work, the university's kind of flipped a big switch uh, for a lot of universities in terms of going from totally in-person or mostly in-person for delivering education to delivering more remote options than they've kind of ever done before. And wanted to talk to you kind of about that next so-called flip of the switch in terms of what universities might do moving forward to incorporate remote learning into what they had going on pre-pandemic. And so as we look back at higher ed during the pandemic from your perspective, are there things that stand out to you as kind of major findings or lessons learned in terms of what worked and what didn't and what has promised relative to remote learning? So, you know, I think one of the biggest mindset shifts that's happening uh, in higher ed right now is that the way we deliver a college degree is just, it needs to be responsive to the diverse needs of today's learners. You know, we, that mindset was uh, alive and well at Arizona State University long before COVID. But like every institution around the country and the world, you know, COVID really accelerated that. You'll hear universities and you know, practitioners of higher education talk a lot about the importance of being student-centric. But that, that just took on a whole new meaning in the last year. Think about the international student who literally could not travel. They could not get a visa and, and come and study in the United States. What's the reality for that student? Must, must they completely pause their academic plan? We said no, and we found ways to keep students enrolled, keep students engaged in new remote ways over the course of the year. We had uh, about 76,000 students who took at least one of their classes in what we called ASU Sync. Now, ASU Sync was, you know, a lot of universities did something like this, where to facilitate social distancing, we had 50% of the class physically in person, while a professor was also teaching to students who were synchronously via Zoom uh, attending that class over the computer. So that is just a whole new dynamic for professors. It's a whole new dynamic for students. And we are looking excitedly forward to getting more and more students on campus. We, we plan to be fully in person uh, with our teaching and learning 
but we still have students who won't be able to travel. We'll still have students who realize from their life circumstances that they need flexibility. And the big question for higher ed right now, and as we look to the years and decades to come, is how do we maintain that level of flexibility for students? How do we make sure that we deliver a high-quality university experience that meets their needs? So another lesson that I think from COVID that, that we, we really have not talked enough about, you know, there's this dialogue in American society about, um, is college worth it? And we all know the data. We all know that for people who want a degree, their lives are enriched by it. But COVID-19 really laid bare the differences in individuals who have college degrees and, and those who don't. Folks without college degrees were not only from a job security perspective and from an economic perspective impacted more adversely by COVID-19, but they were also more likely to get COVID-19 and die from COVID-19. Uh, and then I look about look at those of us who have weathered the pandemic thankfully well, and it's because we were able to, at a flip of the switch, go remote. You know, I was able to pick up my laptop and go home and keep working. Individuals who are in the service industry, individuals who are you know driving our buses and having these jobs that are. Um, traditionally jobs that you just don't need a degree for were put at more risk during the pandemic. So, you know, I, I'm never the person that will say, and if your listeners, you know, are thinking college is for everyone. No, I, I'm not necessarily arguing that, you know, I think learning is for everyone. I think that as long as there are folks who want a college degree, we need to be able to make sure that they can access a college degree. But the data has shown time and time again, that in an example as drastic as a pandemic, those with college degrees are least impacted. And that is an incredible lesson learned that we should be talking more about to young people and just in our culture. It's always tough for me to remember, but remote learning is not kind of the only strategic challenge facing universities. And if we dial back a little bit before the pandemic and from a recruitment and retention standpoint that you're involved in, I mean, what are some of the big challenges that were there and still are there that you think we're going to have to in parallel deal with as we're figuring out what remote looks like in the future for universities? Yeah, you know, I, I think the most challenging and persistent reality that COVID exposed is the opportunity gaps in our society. When we look at what's been happening this past year, one example, you know, we have students across the country, high school students, who literally just completely stopped out of their education path. Think about some of the home situations that, that students find themselves, right? Mom and dad had to continue working. They have younger siblings who had to start remote school for the first time. And with parents not in the home, some of these old, older students, older siblings, literally just had to stop school to take care of younger siblings, to take care of grandparents. And so for those students, you know, they, they're, they're a year behind. They are going to be more and more challenged to be able to progress in their lives, go off to college, have the prerequisites they need to take that next step. That's just one example of all of the complications that 
COVID has exposed for, for students and families who are in most need of um, a higher education experience. And I think COVID just shows us that we hear a lot right now about going back to normal. And, you know, there's a lot of, of conversation in our culture about, you know, we can't go back to normal. And, and, I, and I, I tend to agree to a certain extent. I mean, if we, if we go back to normal and just get everybody back on campus and not think about the students who have always been underserved by higher education, you know, we will continue to serve middle and higher income students at higher rates. Our students from lower income families, first generation college students, if they even get to college, they will continue to have these factors in their lives um, that challenge their ability to retain and to persist toward graduation. So like I said before, you know, this, this is just an opportunity for us as a sector to look at how we are delivering it, a college experience, and get more flexible so that we can serve more students. So I think that's a good segue to what I had in mind next, which is, you know, I set this up as a simple switch on and off, you know, remote or in person. And of course, it could be a dimmer switch. It could be a lot of different switches in a lot of different rooms to tailor to the needs of particular students to meet particular educational goals. And, you know, ultimately, whatever decisions made, it's not going to be a simple yes or no. I think most people can agree on that. So with that in mind and with, you know, that kind of opportunity gap being persistent, as you said, could you give us a sense of how those conversations about uh, the fall and beyond uh, look at ASU right now? Sure. So I, 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 when you say the switch or the dial, I, I kind of, I have, a, I have a music background from my, my childhood and youth, and I, I think of a mixing board. And a mixing board has all these sliders, right? So imagine, if you will, for a second, if we can use that visual, you know, some students are going to want the on-person four-year campus experience turned all the way up to 10 and all the other sliders down to zero. You know, they will be able to, they will want to come on campus for four years, have a residential college experience. We will continue to need to deliver that for the students who want that and who um, have that in their plan. Some students are going to want all of that on-campus dialed to zero, and they're going to want to be a full online learner. You know, we online learning has been around for, for decades. You know, we know that it can be a quality product, and we know it fits the needs of some learners. Imagine now, you know, students who need a mix of all of that. You know, they might say, you know, I can do a Saturday a month and come into a physical space with a a cohort of peers who are learning in the program that I'm learning in, maybe meet that, that once a month with a mentor or an academic advisor, have some sort of in-person experience, but also you know, need the flexibility to work full-time and therefore take most of my classes online. It, I think it, it's, it gets extremely complicated, but it's also a really exciting time for higher education because we're seeing examples of these um, hybrid type programs being spun up. You know, there's always been executive education to a certain extent where, you know, we've had executive MBAs for evening programs. That's just one example, but there's, there's many now. We have a thing at ASU called ASU Local. It's right now in Los Angeles. It'll soon be in Washington, D.C. And the idea is that that idea could replicate wherever there are students who might be place bound won't be able to travel to one of our campuses 
for um, a sustained residential experience, but they'll be able to use the, the local hub for ASU in their community for a number of educational purposes while taking classes with ASU online. So I think that is what a future could look like. I mean, I think what will absolutely happen is it'll be a, a, a thousand different little solutions rather than you know what we've had historically in the later part of the 20th and early part of the 21st century, which is an online experience or an on-campus experience. We're going to have a lot of different versions of those two experiences depending on the needs of the learners that we're trying to serve. And if you can use the mixing board you know, analogy, I guess. Uh, I'll use kind of the spinal tap analogy, which is, you know, if you can turn the dial up to 11 on some of these things, how do you ensure that that focus, when you're spreading the focus between all these potential slider kind of options, how do you make sure you maintain the quality? You're not going to get it right the first try. How do you make sure you kind of build an evaluation and continue to monitor and meet the needs of students? Right. So yeah, let's keep, let's go down the spinal tap path. Right. So there's always, <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think of them, I like to use the, the phrase for, for myself is like, what are our North stars? You know, what are the things that we always have to dial up to 11? So I think about accessibility, you know, access. We, I, I, I strongly believe, I think the experience of the United States has, has proven out the fact that talent's not unequally distributed in our country, in the world opportunity is. So as long as students are qualified to attend and they want to pursue a degree, you know, we as a sector should be working to have a seat for that student in some capacity. Too many qualified students who want to advance their lives through education um, are just frankly left out. So let's turn access up to 11. Quality, that always, that's, that's a constant, right? So we have to make sure that the experience is valuable, that the learning, that the comprehension needs to be sticky. You know, I think about my own college experience. I had some just, you know, frankly, virtuoso professors who my life has been enriched by sitting in their class and experiencing their craft, right? When I think about them, is it, is it that you can only benefit from them by sitting in their class? Probably not. You, you most likely would still benefit from them in, in a virtual capacity, right? I never saw the Beatles live. I never, I wasn't alive for that, but I've, I've benefited from uh, hearing their music in my own life. Right. So you could say, Oh, it's, there's nothing like, there's nothing like sitting in class and therefore we need to be in person. That's true. But that's also that, that could be true for some students, but it doesn't need to be true for, for every student. So I think we have to measure the quality. We need to make sure, of course, through our traditional ways of measuring this, through student retention rates, through graduation rates, through comprehension, we need to continue to show that uh, the, the, the experience is a high quality experience. And then, you know, I think higher ed, another North Star of higher ed is that it is designed to make positive impact in people's lives. You know, higher ed is supposed to empower individuals, inspire them motivate them to, sit, to, seek, to seek out a fulfilling life. People who get that kind of experience don't, make, don't just make positive impact through, through big ways. They, they do it through volunteering. They're active in their communities. They, they vote at higher rates. They start businesses. So these are the things that I think are constants that always need to be dialed up, that need to be 
focus in the front of our mind when we're designing anything, if we start from those North stars and we say, this is what we want, this is what we're trying to solve for. And then we follow those program designs up with questions like, how do we make sure that what we're designing is accessible to people? How do we leverage the technology that we have in ways that make our human interactions more valuable? If we ask these questions, follow those North Stars, I, I believe that all of a sudden we start designing really compelling ideas that serve more students. So thinking about, you know, planning remote moving forward, and you know, could we talk a little bit about your role at ASU and how it's shifted as remotes become, you know, a bigger part of how things are done on your campus? And you know, maybe tie it back in a little bit to what you've learned as you've kind of had to, you know, experience remote more this past year. Yes. So, so my job at ASU, I lead a team, um, we're called the Provost and Enrollment Strategic Communications Team. We are charged with all of the communication strategies that reach prospective students and their families. And then we support communication strategies that help students retain and persist toward graduation. So, you know, we're embedded in the provost office. So our communications are focused on helping drive that enrollment at the university, but also then support students' academic journey. We have a team of 40 individuals, graphic designers, web developers, project managers, videographers, that type of the creative team. We, prior to COVID, had experimented for a few years with one remote workday. We found that because creative work often requires people to um, have quiet, get into a zone and focus, um, having that flexibility really facilitated some of that deep creative work. And it just so happened it it helped us be prepared for um, what happened in March of 2020. So, you know, one of the major things that I learned in this experience is there's a phrase in design thinking methodology called having a bias toward action. I tend to be an overthinker. I, uh, you know, organizations can tend to overly strategic plan. And I will remember on that Monday, what the last day that I was in a physical office in March of 2020, we heard the word that we had to go remote for two weeks. I prepared an email to the team and everybody kind of walked out and it, it, it just happened. And it didn't happen with a ton of a ton of preparation. Now, now we had been preparing for years in just the way that we worked, but in terms of the decision-making, it happened. It just happened. And in the weeks and months to come, we, we learned that we could do it, right? I think we always kind of knew that a remote work environment could work, but like any organization, you're, um, there's a little bit of apprehension to make such drastic organizational change. And, you know, I guess one of the pieces of the remote work experience for you is we're now we're talking in the same time zone because you relocated, right? And how are you navigating that? And how do you think you'll plan to navigate it in terms of both a leader of a team that you won't see in person on a regular basis? And then how do you maintain, you know, that presence as an engaged member of the community when you're not on campus on a regular basis? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about what, how, how my remote came to be, and then I'll tell you um, kind of where I see it headed. So about a month before COVID hit, 
my wife, we found out she was pregnant with our second child. We have a two and a half year old and now a seven month old. And um, our entire family is on the East Coast. You know, we, I lived in Arizona. We lived in Arizona for about a decade. And in that course of time, you know, we had some very close friends of ours lose parents. You know, we, we kind of knew that, well, we didn't kind of know. We, we knew that we wanted to eventually get closer to family. And I always thought pre-COVID that I was going to have to leave the university to make that happen, even though I'm you know, totally committed to, to what we're doing. And COVID really just opened the door, you know, by, by the second month of being a remote uh, worker, you know, I, I, it was clear that it was working and, you know, it gave me the opportunity to, you know, just speak very, um, very openly with, with my boss about what I hope to accomplish and, and what I felt our family needed. And, you know, to my, um, to my surprise, they were supportive and, they, uh, you know, allowed me to relocate. So here I am almost a year in to living in Pennsylvania and being um, a three hour time difference from, from ASU. And for the most part, it's been a fantastic change. You know, I, we, we are getting quality time with our family. Like our kids are experiencing living close to their grandparents, which has been wonderful. Um, and, and COVID has just created this opportunity where where I think people are having very personal, frank conversations about how to make their life work with work. And organizations are more and more open to those conversations than I think they were before. Moving forward, yes, uh, I'm going to need to be an engaged member of the team. I need to still be a motivator. I still need to give people FaceTime. Um, the way that's going to look for me is I'm going to plan four to six times per year traveling back, spending some multiple days with my team, with colleagues around the university. So travel will be part of my, part of my new normal. But you know, the efficiencies gained from it, the personal benefits of remote work, um, as long as we're productive and, and making impact, I think that's where universities and frankly, any organization, that's where their focus needs to be. You think you'll be an outlier? in, you know, working remotely for ASU. And I guess the related question would be, you know, that in some ways kind of strengthen the community, the opportunity for people like you to contribute from afar. Yeah. So, you know, ASU, we, we are a global university. And so that means that we have employees and, and folks all over the world engaged in what we're doing. So I'm not an outlier. There are people who are part of our work structure spots all over the world. You know, I think what we need to focus on is retaining and hiring people who are just committed to the mission of the organization, right? I I never planned to move to Phoenix uh, when I lived on the East Coast, and I became really impassioned by the work of President Crow, our president of ASU, the ASU charter, this idea that we can be an excellent university that operates at scale while maintaining accessibility to more and more people. I got fired up about that. I wanted to become a part of it. And I'm still as fired up about it as I was when I started. 
does an organization want to lose people like that? I, I think not. So we have the technology tools to make it happen. As long as your employee has that drive to contribute, I don't think it matters where they're sitting. I think it also presents a really interesting opportunity to attract talent from different places, right? So in the future, if we're trying to hire somebody who has a very specific skill set but happens to live in Detroit, are we going to require that person to relocate if there's parts in their life that are factors in their life that require them to stay in Detroit? I don't think we should. So I think it presents a really exciting opportunity to have a distributed workforce. I don't think I'm an outlier. I think, uh, you know, any organization that cares about making impact wants to attract people that want to make that impact. And that's, that's how we're going to move forward. Kevin, I thank you for taking time to talk to me today and talk a little bit about what you're trying to push forward with your colleagues at ASU and a little bit about uh, your experience going remote. And, and I wish you good luck in the near term and the long term. Thanks a lot for joining. Uh, me. Thanks, Troy. It's been great to chat with you. For more episodes on the future of remote work, consult the show notes for a link to a playlist for the series, or explore all our episodes by searching for First State Insights on your podcast platform of choice. For more information on the Institute for Public Administration, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks again for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to First State Insights and tune in again soon. Take care.